our reading is Psalm 22, which is at page 554 in the Church Bibles. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no one to help. Many bulls surround me. Strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions that tear their prey open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me, they divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. My precious, deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise him. You, fear the Lord, you who fear the Lord, praise him, all you descendants of Jacob. Honor him, revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. Well, it's great that you could join us here this afternoon and a very, very happy new year to you. It's great to be able to welcome you and add my welcome to Ben's. And uh, just uh, this afternoon, we're carrying on with a series uh, which we've been doing uh, in the first Sunday, I think, of each year for a few years now looking at a psalm to sort of set the direction for the year ahead. So 
this week we're looking at Psalm 22 for 2022. And I'm pleased to say that even though we often plan our preaching about a year in advance, we've now planned the preaching for the first Sunday of every year for the next 128 years, which I think is um, significant for planning. Uh, we're, quite, we're quite proud of that. We're going to uh, look at Psalm 22 then. It's on page 554, page 554. Thank you, George, so much for reading that so clearly. And we're just going to pray as we begin. Let's pray. Words from verse 19. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. And Father God, I pray that as we spend these precious few minutes just concentrating in on your word in the Bible, that, that we would know that you're not far away, that you're close to us, every single one of us, if we call on you, and that, that you would be our strength and that you'd come and help us. Please do that, Father, by your spirit. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, from time to time, I don't know if you've ever had this experience, from time to time you come across a fact which sort of challenges your framework or challenges the whole way that you understand things. And uh, we were talking about this recently in our family. Uh, there's, a, there's a friend of the family uh, who we know. Uh, she's got quite long hair. And, and for, a, for a long time, um, she thought that hair grew from the bottom and not from the top, uh, which, you know, it's, it's an easy mistake to make. I guess you wouldn't really sort of know about these things. The strange thing was, she noticed that when people had their hair dyed and then they, and then they decided to grow it out, that the sort of hair dye somehow slipped down the hair in the way she didn't really understand. And that was a sort of bit confusing. And it turned out, after a while, she realized that the hair, in fact, grows from the top and, and not the bottom. If that's news to you, then that's absolutely true. Okay, hair, hair grows out of, out of your head. Um, or um, Justin told us recently um, that uh, a few years ago now, when he was at school, they were learning about Africa. Uh, and uh, as a result, they contacted a charity in order to adopt an Ethiopian goat. So they sort of, uh, they got some, some, some money together. They decided to adopt a goat in Ethiopia. And the strange thing was, which was a big disappointment to Justin, that a couple of weeks later, the goat hadn't arrived from Ethiopia. And he was really disappointed. He thought they were going to go to a, a poor family in Ethiopia and say, I'm sorry, some people in London have adopted this now. And we're going to have to take it to, for them to look after in London. They're going to steal the goat from the Ethiopian family. In fact, it turns out that if you adopt a goat, it stays in that country to help the family with whom it's placed. Sometimes we, we come across the fact that challenges are understanding. Um, and, and in the same way, all of us have this sort of framework of beliefs, a, a sort of set of understandings that we're going to take with us into the year 2022, I guess. This sort of way of understanding the world, whatever you want to call that. But from time to time, something might come along that challenges that framework. And, th and then we need to ask the question, does my framework need to change? Now, maybe on the one hand, uh, you're, you're just trying to wonder whether there's a God out there. I've actually realized there are all kinds of clues in the world that, make, that might make you think that, that God exists, that he's real. But perhaps you, perhaps you come from a sort of background of secular materialism. You thought that atoms and forces were all that there were in the world. And that everything that we say and think and, and feel are just really 
a sort of trick of the mind to encourage us to pass on our DNA. It's uh, DNA that's really pulling all the strings. Uh, it's a reason uh, for our existence. But there's no real ab meaning to anything beyond that. Uh, and, and if we haven't passed on our DNA, then we're a sort of faulty machine. We sort of failed. Uh, we've let our DNA down. And maybe notice there's some things that don't just that don't really fit with that understanding, yeah? And, and you're wondering if, you wonder if you might sort of start investigating this other framework called Christianity. And that framework means that a lot of things start to make sense. So Christianity says that we feel meaning because there's a God who gives us meaning, yeah? And um, we feel that some things are right and some things are wrong uh, because those things have their origin in God, and, and God has shown us those things. And this new framework called Christianity can explain why we love and laugh and cry and, and blush and write poetry and marvel at the stars and feel a sense of purpose because God's given us all those things, and it starts to make sense. And suddenly we've got a new framework which makes more sense of the world in which we live. Maybe that's you. Uh, but we can also come across new, new information in this way. Maybe... Um, we hear of another war, or we hear of another famine going on somewhere in the world, or, or the medical tests come back, and, and, and they're quite serious this time, or um, there's a text saying that they're going to leave you, or your boss tells you you won't be needed anymore, uh, or you hear that your elderly parents got COVID, and you start to think, oh, perhaps it was all meaningless after all, because um, a good God wouldn't allow this, it just, it just doesn't fit into this sort of neat Christian framework that I want to hold on to. Do you know what I mean? So I'm going to ditch that. Uh, and I'm going to conclude that the world is, is a meaningless jumble of different things that make no sense. Well, that's why we need Psalm 22 to take us into the new year. Psalm, Psalm 22. Because um, we're coming out of Psalm 21. That's all about God's strength. And... Uh, and, and next year, I guess, we're going to Psalm 23, which is all about comfort. But in between is Psalm 22, which is all about suffering. All about suffering. And uh, if I can put it like this, uh, we find suffering right at the heart of God's framework. That's important to know, isn't it? We find suffering right at the heart of God's framework in a way that can help to bring an understanding of suffering right into the heart of our framework even as we trust in, in this God from, from day to day. So here's the first point from this psalm. We're going to get into it. Back on page 554, if you want to have a look at it. And the first point comes from verses 1 to 21. Uh, verses full of humanity and reality and compassion. It's the point. We have a forsaken king who surpasses our suffering. Okay, that's, that's the point from verses 1 to 21. We have a forsaken king, Jesus, who surpasses our suffering. Um, if, if we're analyzing verses 1 to 21 as a poem, which is what they are, then we'd say that they're all about two things, I think. If we were looking for themes, we'd say the themes of distance and the theme of death sort of dominate these verse, first 21 verses. Distance and death. First of all, look at the, the, this sort of desperate feeling of distance. Um, verse 1. This is King David um, speaking. Or they will see it applies even better to another king who's on the way. 
A thousand years before Jesus, King David says this, verse 1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far, that's one of the themes, so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? Um, the, the songwriter Bono, if you know him, compares this part of the Bible to the blues. And in, in, if that's the case, this desperate feeling of, of distance is sort of the chorus. Look down to verse 11. Psalm 22, verse 11, top of the right-hand column. Uh, do not be far from me, David says. Or um, verse 19, but you, Lord, do not be far from me. Um, you have that feeling uh, that God's left the building, uh, that your prayers just um, bounce off the ceiling. Have you ever felt like that? Um, it's a normal part of Christian experience, according to David. And the more the writer thinks about God, and the more David thinks about God, that the greater the distance seems to become. So, verse 2, my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In your ancestors put their trust. They trusted, and you delivered them. Where are you? He's discovered... Um, the important gift of prayerful rudeness. I don't know if you've, uh, you've discovered that. Um, the important gift of prayerful rudeness. Where are you, God, when I need you? Um, you're not here. That feeling of distance. And God's gone. Well, the um, second theme is the, this, this desperate journey to death. He's dying. Can you see the themes come out? Theme of the, um, the bulls, verse 12, the bulls. Um, bulls can be quite dangerous. In November the 1st this year, a 55-year-old man was gored to death by a bull in Onda near Valencia. They were running the bulls, according to the, according to the metro. Uh, and um, he suffered two heart attacks and head injuries when a half-ton bull pierced his leg with his horn and threw him into the air. Horrible. In verse 12, though, these bulls represent people. Many bulls surround me. Strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. But the, but the idea is, is, is they're going to kill him. Um, and they, they can pierce him as well. Verse 16, they pierce my hands and, and feet. And then verse 18, have a look down at that. Um, they divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. It's a desperate thing, isn't it, when someone dies? Uh, that's what we were doing at this time last year. We were sorting out my dad's house. My dad died. Um, and, uh, you know, you go, you go down there. My sister and I went through his possessions. And, you know, anyone wants a radio, chest of drawers, old teapot. So dividing up his possessions. That's what happens when someone's died. This passage is all about this sort of journey to death. It's the poem of a desperate dying man. Which is why it is utterly shocking to find it in the mouth of God. Utterly shocking to find this in, in the mouth of God. And yet, this is the, the very words that are quoted by Jesus in Matthew 27 as he's dying. The words of Jesus the Messiah. He quotes this psalm. He was interested in Psalm 22. We know that. Because he quotes it. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me 
And that immediately um, makes us ask questions, doesn't it? We kind of think, well, Jesus was someone who, um, who utterly trusts God. We've seen that all the way through Matthew's gospel. So um, why is Jesus asking that? Why is he asking why God, why God seems to have um, abandoned him as he dies on the cross? And we go back to Psalm 22, and the, and, and the lights begin to come on because we see that already Matthew has woven ideas from Psalm 22 into his account of Jesus' death because they happened in history that way. Um, so you get the insults from verse 7. All who see me mock me, they hurl insults, shaking their heads. They use the exact words of, um, of verse 8. Or get the dislocations in, in verse 14. All his bones are out of joint. So happens when you're crucified. You get the dehydration of verse 15. You get the weakness of, of verse 15. You get the piercing um, in verse 16. You get the gloating in verse 17, and you get the dividing of garments, verse 18, as Jesus dies. Matthew's made that entirely clear. But ultimately, these words fit in Jesus' mouth because of the desperate feeling of distance as, as he dies. The God of Christianity surpasses us in our suffering. This is what it felt like for Jesus as he was dying. It felt like for him. Unimaginably painful. Jesus has known his father from eternity. And uh, there was nothing ever, there was, there was nothing that spoiled that relationship. Uh, and now Jesus says he's like a, he's like a worm, not a, not a man. It's not just the distance from us to a worm. Uh, we, we've made all kinds of... We, we, in some ways, we've sort of marred our humanity, we, the ways that we've rebelled against God, but Jesus is fully, perfectly human. The distance from him to a worm is, is, is really quite a lot. God's perfect king to worm. Jesus was really cut off from God. He was utterly abandoned on the cross. As all of our wrongdoing is heaped on him, it disrupts that relationship. And he quotes these words because he's on this desperate journey to death. He's dying. He's a dying man. Um, no one can stop us from dying, can they? Uh, my niece has just started studying medicine up in London. Uh, it's great fun to have her up in this part of the town. And um, she's studying at Queen, Queen Mary uh, University, a massive um, medical facility just next to the canal. I don't know whether you've seen it. You're walking down the canal, a huge multi-million pound building um, next to a graveyard. Do you notice that? It's ironic, isn't it? Don't you think? Jesus dies. He surpasses our suffering because he, he dies not only dehydrated and pierced, but dying the death of a million people. He's suffering the kind of spiritual death that the human race has always merited but never experienced. No wonder then that, that one philosopher reflecting on the death of Jesus called Albert Camus wrote this. He said, the, the night in Golgotha is so important, that's the night as Jesus is dying, so important in the history of man because in its shadows, the divinity abandoned its traditional privilege and live through to the end, despair included. Thus is explained the cry and the Christ in agony. And remove the cross, as our Muslim friends and colleagues would, would, would want to, and we're left to despair on our own. I, I don't want the framework like that. But in Jesus, we have a forsaken king who surpasses us 
in our suffering. And that's why he's a God I can believe in. In, in the year to come, in the 12 months that, that are ahead of me, that is the God that I can believe in. John Stott, one Christian writer, put it like this. In the real world of pain, how could one worship a God who was immune to it? I read Psalm 22, and I can sort of hear his voice. Do you ever have that experience when uh, you're reading a letter from someone and you can sort of hear their voice as you're reading it? I don't know, it might just be me. I have this kind of thing. Um, but we, we read Psalm 22. We can hear Jesus' voice. And we know that suffering is at the heart of his framework. His suffering sort of outmaneuvers mine. My suffering is understood. I want to believe in a God like that as I go into a new year with him by my side, don't you? But that's not where the psalm ends. Here's the point from verses um, 22 to 31, the second half, our second point. Uh, We have a, a welcoming king who saves us through his suffering. We have a welcoming king who saves us through his suffering. And someone who made a, a, a really deep impression on me was uh, a friend that I got to know at medical school. He was a guy called Peter Casson. Uh, I just drove down the road where he used to live uh, yesterday, actually. Um, and he was a Christian guy, and he had a, a, particularly, uh, a particularly nasty form of cancer that affected his face. He had sort of facial cancer. Um, and there's a tree uh, planted in his memory in Victoria Park, and I go, I, I, um, go and visit it from time to time and, and give thanks for, for his life. Uh, but there's one thing that he said uh, that struck me. Actually, many things that he taught me. But one thing in particular uh, that he mentioned that stuck in my mind, he said, I know that it is only at the moment that I die that the cancer will die as well. Only when he dies, so the cancer will die as well. And um, having battled for years against his tumor, he knew that the only thing that would kill it was his own death, and then he would be free. And there's this extraordinary um, difference between verses 1 to 21 and and verses 22 to to 31. George, I thought you brought that out really well. Because verses 1 to 21 becomes more and more desperate uh, until it ends in death. Verse 15, you lay me in the dust of death. And then in verses 22 to 31, the cancer's gone. And uh, it's full of celebration. Have a look at that. Verse 22, full of um, declaration and full of acknowledgement. Verses 22 to to, to 31. Have a look down at verse 22. I will declare your praise to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. This is David writing. So I'm going to get everyone together. I'm going to tell people how good you are. I'm talking to God. And it echoes on in verse 31. You see right at the end, it echoes down in history. Future generations will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn. And, and so um, there's this, this king who's declaring um, how great God is, and then and the people acknowledge it. So Verse 27, all the families of the nations will bow down before him. Nations from all over the world. Verse 29, at the end, all who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive. We can't 
we can't keep ourselves alive. As we go on from one year to next, we, we have to acknowledge that the, the dust of death settles on everything eventually. But there is an end to the cancer. Um, I quoted them before, but you know those words from Sam Ganji um, in Lord of the Rings. He finds out that Gandalf isn't dead as, as he thought, but he's alive. And he cries, I thought you were dead, Gandalf, but then I thought I was dead myself. Is everything sad going to come untrue? And the answer in Jesus is yes. Everything sad is, is going to become untrue. And, and as one Christian writer puts it, it will somehow be greater for once having been broken and lost. No wonder then that this um, psalm is quoted in another part of the Bible. So fitting. Have a look at um, Psalm 2, talking about Jesus. You'll find it up on the screen. Um, Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews 2, verse 9 says this. The writer is saying we don't see everything subject to the angels. But verse 9, we do see Jesus who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. And it carries on in verse 11. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, and this is where the quote comes from Psalm 22. I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters in the assembly. I will sing your praises. He's got, he's got everyone together and, uh, and, and he's declaring to his family how great God is. So you remember the, the feeling of the first half is just it's desperation, death, distance. What was... What was Jesus experiencing there? Well, in, in the words of the book of Hebrews, he was being made a little lower than the angels. He was um, going down, down, down to death, tasting death for everyone in order to make people like us holy. That's what he was doing. And so he steps from one half of the psalm in, into the other and he brings a family with him. Um, that's us, you see. And he's, um, he's swallowed their death tasted death for everyone and so he's not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters if we're Christians Jesus calls you a sister or a brother he's not ashamed to do that he swallowed your death and, and people from the ends of the earth places like um, North London for instance um, are called to um, verse 29 you see that to feast and worship <laughs> feast and worship and what do we say, end of verse 31? He has done it. He's done it. We need to wrap up. But can I, can I just give you four ideas to take with you into 2022? Can I do that just as we finish? Just four things. They'll be up on the screen. Things for you to think about and, uh, and, and, and digest. As you think about and you plan the year ahead, here's the first thing. The suffering that we experience has been understood been understood you see that so when, when the pain comes as it will I wish I could shield you from it but the, there will be pain coming up I, 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 I can't prevent that and I'll express it 
I'll, I'll experience it myself. You know, when, when the depression comes back or, or the school hasn't got a place or, or it's another year where you, you, you long to have a baby but you couldn't or um, the call comes in about your dad, you know, you can run towards God, not away from him. Because, because he understands. Your, your framework in, in, in God, your framework can cope with that. Because Jesus' suffering goes further than ours, and so he can, he can embrace us in our, in our pain. Um, I want to believe in a God like that. That's the first principle. The second is this. The injustice that we feel has been endorsed. You see? Um, it's maybe a, a year to discover the important gift of prayerful rudeness. You know, you, you, you can tell God how you're feeling. You, I think we have this um, understanding of prayer um, sort of running along certain lines and there's certain words we need to use and, and uh, certain phrases. We, it's, it's, it's great to pray like that, to learn how to pray, but I think we forget how rude we can be to God. Um, how honest we can be, how, how much we can express what we're feeling. And, and this sense of injustice um, is, um, is a real one. You know, the secular atheist can't account for that. Um, someone said that for a secular atheist, um, then railing against suffering is like, a, or being surprised at suffering is like a fish being surprised at the presence of water. You know, it, it's... It's all around us the whole time. Why do we feel this great sense of injustice? Well, if we believe in God, then, then we know that that injustice is real. That we, we have this deep sense that things shouldn't be like this. Christians have a model of um, prayerful honesty straight from the lips of God's king. Why? God, why aren't you here? We can say those things in prayer. Thirdly, the suffering we deserve will never come. The suffering we deserve will never come. Do you see that? And one writer put, puts it like this. I mean, the dust of death settles on everything in the end. We can't keep ourselves alive. Not the cleverest doctor in the world can, can keep us alive forever. And there are some very clever doctors here in London, um, let me tell you. But Jesus tasted death for us. He ate our death. And so um, death will happen to us, but it won't take us down. He's going to bring us to glory. And then finally, the hope that we have cannot be diminished. Jesus takes the microphone and he, and, and he declares God's name to his people. He says, come here, everybody. I, I've got to tell you how good God is. Um, and so we have a family to belong to. I don't know what the family is like that you grew up in, but here is a family you can belong to brothers and sisters of Jesus. He's not ashamed to, to, to call us family members. And, and, you know, there'll be times in, in 2022, I can guarantee you, when, that, when hope starts to flicker. And that's the very moment when we need to say to one another, he has done it. <laughs> Don't give up hope. He's done it. And he will carry us through. Well, we're going to leave it there, and um, I'm going to pray. Let's pray together.
Heavenly Father, thank you for this um, extraordinary psalm that fits the experience of David, but fits the experience of Jesus even better. Thank you that he was killed, that he lay in the dust of death, that he tasted death for us, that he was made a little lower than the angels. He went down and down and down in disgrace and and discomfort. Uh, He felt so far away from you. And yet he lives. And he lives to call us his family and he lives to tell us how good God is. And he, and he lives to show us that it's done. His work is complete. And so I pray, Father, as we go forwards into this year, we have no idea what it's going to contain. Uh, but we go into the new year in his company. And so we know that there's a hope that will carry us through, that we will be brought through death to glory. And as his family, we can rejoice. We just pray, Father, we'd hold on to those trees and all the challenges that are going to come our way. And we ask these things in your name. Amen.